Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Morning, those online. Pastor Josh is on his way back from Missouri. Family wedding out there. So glad you're all here today. Beautiful. Been having beautiful fall weather. Favorite time of year. Hunting season. Seen an Illinois fan down here wearing the colors, Garrett. <laughs> hey, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Can you be a Christian without believing in miracles? So, anyone here of Wayne Grudem? Come on. No one's heard of Wayne Grudem? He is like the Steph Curry of theology. The Patrick Mahomes of theology. Anyway, Wayne Grudem, he defines miracles in this way. He says, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Now, I know you're all second service people, but did anyone happen to see the sunrise this morning? That was, that was quite an incredible. For you second servicers, more people in first service did see the sunrise, I noted. But it was amazing. So, question. Would it be a miracle if you only saw a sunrise once every 30 years? Would you say like, that's, that's amazing, seeing that pink sky and the sun crack the horizon? So maybe you think that's a miracle, but it's, it's amazing, but we see it every day. Or for you second services, maybe you see it less often as the first service people. What about, what happens when you, you know, your finger, you get a cut, or in your arm, you know, just a really small centimeter cut or something. You know, you might bleed a little bit. And what do you do? You maybe stop it up, put a Band-Aid on. And then maybe a week later, you have no idea. You, you can't even remember. But what if your body didn't have that capacity just to heal it up? And you were just left like a little cut. And then you're going to have a hole in your body or on your finger for the rest of your life. But we think nothing of it because, you know, God made great capacity for self-healing to form a scab and to close up those holes in our, our skin. Our faith is built on miracles. Virgin birth, parting the Red Sea, a man rising again from the dead after his heart stopped beating. Would we all agree that's, that's less common? I've never seen it. You've never seen it, been a part of that. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead, arousing people's awe and wonder, bears witness to himself. So today we're in 
Acts chapter three, we've been looking at the big picture of one and two. It's kind of the big picture of the birth of the church. And this is a smaller, narrower scope of a few people and a miracle, a story of healing. The Bible is full of, of healings. It's full of situations where people don't get healed. It's a life of faith that God calls us to. He heals, he doesn't heal, he, but he saves. In the end, he's gonna save completely. Couple verses as we start off. First Peter 2.24. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Meaning that all our bad, sinful thoughts, actions, words, behaviors, he took that in his body, his physical body. He bled and died. Um, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hand, the tomb on the tree for our sins, that you and I might die to sin, that we might, in a sense, be healed of our sin, be saved from our sin, and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. And you'll see that in the Bible, when it, talk, it talks about saving, healing, you can't really separate them. Emotional healing, uh, spiritual healing, physical healing, it's hard to separate them. It's just healing, he does. Next verse, Old Testament passage, saying Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, meaning like he was familiar with heartache. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Meaning like, man, that guy is unpopular. He must have done some bad things because he seems to suffer trauma and heartache and hardship. Next verse. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Meaning he took the weight of our emotional pain, our emotional sin, um, our sorrows, our heartache. And we thought, yeah, it's all your fault, Jesus. You're smitten by God and afflicted. In verse five, but the miracle is that, and the truth is that Jesus was pierced. He was punished for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought you and I peace. Peace or otherwise salvation, healing, wholeness, and with his wounds, we are healed. So my hope today for all of us is that in Christ, as we look at him, that we see if we're followers of Christ or if we're not, that we move toward Christ and that the scriptural truth is that in Christ, we have been healed. We are being healed in the present tense. Future tense that he is going to completely, completely in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, heal you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this work in each one of our, our hearts, whether here, watching at home, that we might believe that in you, we hold fast, we believe, whatever amount of faith we have, that you have saved and healed us, you are saving and healing us, and that the great hope and that you will completely save and heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible or your phone, whatever you want. Acts chapter three, open up there. I'll be using some other verses too, which will be on the screen. Acts chapter three, verse one, it says, now Peter and John, 
Peter and John, two of the 12 disciples, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're in there. They're two of the most prominent disciples, probably the, the leaders of the early church. These were the same two guys who Mary Magdalene after, or the ladies who saw the empty tomb, they ran and said, hey, Jesus is not there. And so these two take off. John evidently was younger and he outran Peter to the tomb, but yet he was a little hesitant. Peter huffing and puffing when he caught up, he just went right down to the empty tomb. And so these men, we could say they were friends, um, close knit and been through a lot together. And so we find them going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. And it says this next line, and a man lame from birth was being carried. A man lame from birth. All his life, he is lame. What does lame mean? It means maimed, injured, can't walk. My son will say, dad, your jokes are lame. Meaning that he says, my jokes can't walk. They don't have legs. They're injured. They're crippled. I will respond to him that no, my jokes are not lame. Meaning my jokes can walk. In fact, my jokes run circles around you. Point and example, yesterday afternoon, she might be watching online. Our prayer leader, her name is Lori, married to Rocky. And she texted me saying that, Oh, Rocky and I got hit hard by this bad bug going around. And I replied to her. And I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. It must be quite a bug to knock Rocky down. Is it the Apollo Creed bug? Come on, Apollo Creed. <laughs> yeah, there's just an example. There's so much more where that came from. So, lame from birth. Lame from birth, try to put yourself in the shoes of someone lame from birth. You have never, ever walked. Never, ever, ever walked. What are some things you might be feeling or experiencing? Never walked. Every day, seeing hundreds, thousands of people walking. You've never, ever walked. A few things. I think number one, he probably thought, I'm a burden. Literally, he physically is a burden. He cannot go anywhere unless someone picks him up. There's no ambulance, there's no taxi. Someone must pick him up and carry him. Like, oh, I'm an inconvenience to everybody. I can tell by the look on his face that he'd rather be fishing or hunting or doing anything else but He's got to carry me. I'm a burden. I can't do anything. I want something to eat. I need to go to the bathroom. I got, he just brought me some food and I really have to go to the bathroom, but I know I'm gonna, he's gonna look so angry if I say, so I better just hold it. I'm a burden. I think sometimes we feel like we're afraid to tell others that we're struggling because, oh, they've got their problems. I'm just a burden. That's all I am. Number two, I would think there's a good chance he probably had some anger. He sees people walking by him, hundreds of thousands every day, and maybe he knows things. Oh, that guy cheats on his wife, and he, 
He's just walking in there every, every day. She cheats people out of money. She steals from them. And she's walking and she's in great physical shape. Why, God? Why me? Just angry. Why did you make me this way? What did I do? I'm, I'm better than those people and yet I can never walk. I think part of the lesson here, lame from birth, is that he, he sees no other future vision of his life is that I'm lame from birth, I'll always be lame. There's no, there's nothing out there. That's who I am forever and ever. I think one of the reasons this, this story is here in the Bible is that you and I, before Christ, were lame from birth, we're sinners from birth, and there's no hope for us apart from Christ. And I think it's in the scripture because whether it's anxiety, that I've always struggled with anxiety, and I'm just gonna, I guess that's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm struggled with anxiety all my life and that's who I'll always be. I've struggled with back pain, with migraines all my life and I guess that's just who I am and I'm a burden, I'm angry and that's who I'll always be. Struggled with depression, as far as I, I've struggled with this, with lust, with anger, with colitis, with whatever it is and that's just, I guess, who, this trauma, that's who I'll always be. That is my identity. I've always been that way, and that's who, I guess, that's my fate in life. That's who I'll always be. Going on, verse four. Uh, we're still in verse two. He says, they, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. High traffic area, where, do, where is someone who wants money? Where do they go? They go to the Walmart, they go to the sports venues, they go to the high traffic areas. Beautiful gate, lots of people to ask alms or money or gold or silver of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, beginning of verse three, it says the word seeing, with his eyes. 10 verses, six times. Note carefully, if you're ever reading a passage of scripture, what keeps coming up? So there's lots of visual here. Seeing, next one is, Peter directed his gaze. Next one, look at us. Next one, verse five, and a man fixed his attention. Next one, verse nine, and all the people, all the people saw him. And down at, um, next one is, um, and they recognized him. And so six times, 10 verses, the point is a couple, eyewitness. This is, this really, truly happened. There was seeing, eyes, everyone's looking, gazing. And the people saw and recognized him. Secondly, if you go back to verse three, seeing Peter and John. Uh, if you go, want to go back to verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go, and in verse four, and Peter directed his gaze at him. It said, look at us. They make eye contact. And the beggar, the man lame from birth, doesn't know, but it's about being able to see. And so the question for you and I is, 
Do you actually see the people around you? Of course, you see them, but do you actually see them every day? People who are lame from birth around you, classmates, coworkers, neighbors, who need Christ and need someone to come with them. The point here is that God sees us and as followers of Christ, we want to be able to see the people around us. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament, Genesis 16, a woman named Hagar, without going into any detail, I'm gonna tell you about Hagar, is that she found herself literally in a desert with her little kid, uh, abandoned, outcast, all alone in a desert, thinking that my life is over, no one cares, no one understands, no one sees me, and God showed up and she said, she said, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. In the Hebrew, it would have said, Jehovah God, Ra'ah, who sees. You are Jehovah Ra'ah, a God of seeing. And that what saved her life was just, God, you see me. Yes, God did some things to work her, her situation out, but she said, you're God, you actually see me. When no one else sees me, you're the God who's real and you see me. Those times when you think that you are invisible and no one sees you, no one cares, no one one understands, you've got craziness going on on inside you, God says, I see you, I see you. And so as followers of Christ, we wanna be those like our savior that we see people, not just physically, but we, like, we care about people, that we wanna help people. And if we put ourselves in the place of the man lame from birth, we wanna know that when we're experiencing some of the pain and craziness, that God sees us and he cares. Going on here, verse five. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, not what you're expecting, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We may not have money or gold or silver to to give to people, but we, if we have Christ, we have everything to offer to someone. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you wanna to flip to the next slide about name, we offer Jesus Christ, not gold or silver. Coming back to 3.6. In the name of Jesus Christ, so Jesus is his proper name, Ben, Joe, Dave, Mary, Alicia, Jesus. Jesus means God saves. This is his name, Eric, um, Amy. Christ is his title, meaning Messiah, King, General, Chief, uh, Boss, CEO. Jesus, his name, Christ, his title of Nazareth, where he's from. 
David Winters of Syracuse, um, Joe Smith of Milford. Um, maybe your last name is Beer or Bontrager or Miller. Uh, which Miller are we talking about? Which Bontrager are we talking about? There's lots of Jesus. Let's be crystal clear. The point is that this is not a myth. This is not an allegory. This is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ where? Of Nazareth, of flesh and blood, a historical being. It's all about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's be clear, specific, born of a virgin tested 40 days in the wilderness by Satan and overcame all, suffered on the cross, cast out demons, healed the sick, had mercy on the poor, rose again from the dead, coming back to earth one day, that our faith is not in some uh, mythical Jesus, but in a historical flesh and blood Jesus Christ of Nazareth coming back to earth one day, healing all. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We believe in Romans 10, 9, where it says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're built on Jesus Christ of Nazareth, died, rose again from the dead and is our salvation. We believe in the Jesus Christ of Nazareth who said, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. That's the Jesus we offer. That's the Jesus that we cling to. That's the Jesus who gives us freedom and life in his name. We offer Jesus Christ, not gold or silver, exercising authority, authority in his name. Verse six again, but Peter said, I have no, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So when an officer, police officer says, stop in the name of the, in the name of the law, or I arrest you in the name of the government of the United States of America. When you claim the name, you're, you're, you're standing on the authority of that. Or the officiant says, I, by the authority invested in me, I now pronounce you husband and wife. We're talking about the authority in that if you are a follower of Christ, this may be a new concept to you, that God has given you a measure of authority. His Holy Spirit is in you. You've been bought with his blood. He's broken the power of sin in your life. And he has given you a measure of authority to be free, to stand, to resist the devil, to stand against your sin or your temptations or your afflictions, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A few verses to back this up. Luke 10, verses 19 through 20. And again, I'm just gonna say this verse has been abused uh, literally, 
but I think it, it is talking more in a spiritual sense as you look at it, but it says, behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Certainly God could give that literal power, but I think as you'll see, I mean, it's talking in a figurative power, the serpents and scorpions is evil and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the evil spirits or spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Next verse, Matthew 16 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it shall be loosed in heaven. So before we leave this verse, just talking about that Christ has given us power through his Holy Spirit to bind and loose, that we've been given a measure of power as followers of Christ. We're not helpless. We're not lame and doomed to be crippled until Christ comes back. One more, I could have chosen several, but I'll just choose one more. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, meaning that I've received all authority and I'm giving it a share of it to you as my followers. Do you see yourself as helpless, enslaved, like ah, my depression, my anxiety, my arthritis, my cancer, just every, whatever it might be, that's just who I am, that's who I'll always be. In a measure that God has given us a measure of authority to stand against it, to pray and stand in his name by the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God wants us to see that we can live with hope. A life of faith, we don't know how our prayers will be answered, but we know that God has called us in some way, shape or form to stand in the name of Jesus Christ and that you lustful spirit or you spirit of unforgiveness, be gone you self-centered, or you, you spirit of anxiety, in Jesus' name be gone, and to fight the battle in such a way. We offer Jesus Christ, not gold or silver, exercising authority and healing in his name, and healing in his name. Coming back to verse seven, and he took him by the right hand, and again, such details, you don't find these in, in myths. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. A little x-ray here of a leg. I don't know all the names of the bones or ligaments. I did not take time. Hence, probably you, need, you don't know either. Some of you might. But just whatever these bones were, whatever cracks or faults there were her, here, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, rise and walk, that this just suddenly, the ligaments, the muscles, the tendons, the bones, whatever it was, whether it was a cracking sound, uh, whether it was some type of crunching, whether it was heat he felt in his legs, there was feet and ankles, but they came together. And again, these stories are kind of fun to, how, what do you think he felt like? Never, ever, ever walked suddenly taking him by his right hand, up you go. <laughs> and he's feeling like, wait a second. I mean, I think that's just, we need to try to use our imagination like that is amazing. 
and just the thrill that must have been in his soul as he stood and felt the power come into his feet and ankles. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He went vertical, jumping before God, and he goes straight into church in the temple. Verse nine, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This word amazement, it talks, it's sometimes translated as being in a trance, as being in in shock. It's not about fear or happiness, it's mind blowing. Like they, they were numb, they were speechless. Like people don't jump in our church. Maybe they raise their hands, but they, they definitely don't leap around and jump around in our church. This is crazy, it's mind blowing. Like your mind, you can't comprehend. This is too much. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to talk about healing, that God heals. Sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer to heal. And how do we approach our healing? First Peter 2.24, it's coming back again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. One of the first points I want to make is that God forever solved our greatest eternal problem. We don't always get the answers to our prayers. We don't always get healed. But God forgives our greatest problem for all eternity is our sins. And he took that on himself in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That Christ has healed us, is healing us, will forever heal us. And again, Isaiah 53, just verse five. Go on to verse five. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with us and with his wounds we are healed. And so as we face, you know, the lack of healing in our own lives or the lives of others, the great thing, the awesome thing about our faith is that he's a man who's who's familiar with sin. He's familiar with pain. He's familiar with sorrows. That he took it upon himself. He understands. He knows He suffered death himself and that he did that for us. And so we never lose sight of the cross and what God has done for us and his love displayed. We also don't get lost in the question of, do I have enough faith? Did I have enough faith? Or my prayer, oh, it must not have been answered because I didn't have enough faith or the right kind of faith, or I committed this sin and then, well, I didn't get the answer to that prayer. It's a trap for several reasons. One, 
Because who's the focus on, God or you? We live by the grace of God where it's about his grace. We're not saved by our works, neither are our prayers answered by our works. We don't earn the right to, you know, this good thing supposedly happens to us or we get that prayer answered because we had enough faith. And you're a loser because you didn't have enough faith and that's the only reason that you didn't get your answer to prayer. That is heresy and it's sin. We can't control God by our faith. People of great faith sometimes get their prayers answered. People of great faith sometimes don't get their prayers answered. Read the Bible. Many times prayers are not answered. God has other purposes. Sometimes people of little faith get their prayers answered. Sometimes people of little faith don't get their prayers answered. God calls us to live a life of faith. I'm not gonna go into the details, but you could take a look at one chapter of the Bible. Matthew 8, three stories in Matthew 8. In the first story, Jesus heals a leper and Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Second story, a centurion comes to Jesus, a Roman soldier and says, hey, can, can you come heal my servant? And Jesus says, hey, your faith has brought healing to your servant. Your servant, I mean, he was like a non-player. And the third story, it's a demon-possessed person who obviously didn't have the capacity to have faith. And so you have a different variable in every story. Why? God is God and he won't be put in a box that we think we can control him by some magical formula. He is a free God, he's good, he's faithful, he has, he is, and he will heal us. But we can't control him by how much little or no faith that we have. And the lame man evidently, I mean, Peter just walks up and says, get up and walk. He had no idea what was gonna happen. Don't get lost in the question of, do I have enough faith? It's not where God wants you to be. You're either gonna get puffed up with pride or you're gonna beat yourself up with guilt and shame. Keep your eyes on the Lord and offer to him whatever amount of faith you may have. We're gonna be looking at the Apostle Paul as we go on the book of Acts who does some amazing miracles, crazy miracles. But even he, in a situation later on in the New Testament, appears not to have this capacity to heal people. Philippians 2.27, he's with a coworker and he evidently didn't have the power to heal him and thinks like Epaphroditus was gonna die. He says, indeed, he, my coworker Epaphroditus, was sick, ill, near to death. I thought he was a, a goner, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I love these verses. They have comforted me very much. On uh, the next slide, Mark 9, 23, a father comes and says, hey, my boy, uh, I, he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Look at that. Uh, a contradiction right there. I believe, help my unbelief. 
I've prayed that way so many times. There's a part of me that, yes, God, I believe you can do this. And there's a part of me that's like, no, God, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Help my unbelief. As human beings, this passage gives you permission to carry both in your heart, right? Because sometimes maybe you've got a little more, I believe. Sometimes, right, you've got some more of help my unbelief. So this is a fantastic prayer. The point is, keep your eyes on God and however much little, almost non-existent faith or how big your faith is, take to God and ask him. Take it to God and ask him. And even as several Bible stories say, uh, whether it's the centurion or someone else, if you're struggling with faith and you find like, hey, Joe, do you believe for me? If you can find another woman or man who believes for you, hey, scripturally, you're on good ground. Find someone else who has faith that God can set you free from your physical pain or emotional pain. Find a brother, find a sister who you may be struggling to believe God can change your life, but you find someone else who can believe for you and scripturally, you're, that's a good thing. Find someone who, who believes for you. God has countless ways to heal. Doctors, medicine, surgeries, x-rays, herbs, anyone, oils, therapy, physical therapy. God has instantaneous healing, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, love. God has innumerable ways to heal and sustain us. We can never limit God. Slow, fast, medium, he heals. He is, he has, is, will heal us. <clears throat> Our approach to healing built on two pillars. Number one, God cares. Yeah, God cares. God loves. You are loved. Verses for this, I could choose so many. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Saves those saves the crushed in spirit. Next verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Next point is that God's, God's power. And verses on God's power. Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Ephesians 3, 20 says this. Let's say this together right now as a church, just follow along on the screen or at home. Let's say this together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. We always hold fast these two truths and we walk by faith. Whatever our prayers are answered, our prayers are unanswered, our prayers will be answered. We always hold fast that God cares for me. God cares for me. And God's power is for me. And God's gonna carry me eventually. He's gonna bring me all the way through. We hold fast those two truths. We know and believe God can do miracles. And we, we pray for healing all the time. 
that is normal. It may not be normal even in the physical sense. It may not be normal for God to instantaneously, physically heal someone of stomach pain or high blood pressure or headaches. But he can't, but it is normal for us to pray for such things. Uh, I like the, the mix of James 5:16, great verse where it, it mixes so much powerful truth. James, the brother of Christ, he says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed as if it's the most natural, normal, normal thing that, hey, whenever we're hanging out together, hey, let's confess our sins to each other. And then let's just pray for us to be healed, whether it's anxiety or anger or fear or headaches or arthritis or whatever it is. Let's just pray for each other to be healed. I want to use the metaphor of swinging the bat and a baseball metaphor in that God calls us to not just to know that, hey, um, swinging a bat and actually making contact, uh, hitting a single, that could be fun from the perspective of someone who's never played baseball. And like, hey, I'm in, the, I'm in the dugout. I just, you know, I, I'm not pastors swing the bat, but I'm just a dugout guy, uh, a bleacher woman. Several times I've been a little more uh, gung-ho on remembering to do this than others. And a few years ago, um, I was in one such frame of mind. I was just praying about, God heal everything with my kids, with my wife, and Chris and I were talking, my wife Chris, and it's one night, we, we usually pray together each night before we uh, head off uh, to bed, and so Chris had a pretty bad cold or bron- bronchitis or something like that. So I remember distinctly, and I was, I was in this mode of like, gonna pray and expect hope for an answer. Prayed, Lord, heal Chris, and help her to wake up tomorrow morning and just to be fully healed. Let's go to bed and next morning we're in the kitchen and I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, I feel like 100% better. We both kind of look at each other like, I think my prayer did it. I think think it, it, it worked, it actually worked. In another sense, like, I don't really care. Maybe it was my prayer and she woke up healed. I prayed for a lot of times that same situation. It's the first time she ever woke up and and felt good and and it hasn't been repeated since. Um, But it doesn't, that's the way I want to live my Christian life in a hopeful swing the bat type of way that God cares about you he cares about me, he's all powerful, and he wants us to pray for salvation, for healing, for healing from depression, healing from anxiety, healing from fear, anger, lust, whatever it is, healing for broken relationships, healing for physical pain, for diseases, that God wants us to swing the bat and just, you know, maybe a baseball player has a .05 Average, meaning like he gets one hit every 20 times. But how do you think he feels when he gets that one hit? And wouldn't you be, rather be a person who 
You know, you get that one hit every 20 times rather than you never ever pick up a bat. So one of the applications for today as you walk away, pray for it, small or big. Whether for it's, you know, a new job you're applying for, whether it's for help me love that unlovable person, whether it's like, ah, the arthritis is really acting up or my knee pain, or you've got a a very serious life-threatening disease. And yes, God may not answer yet, today, but we wanna live in a hopeful, expectant way not in a just dreary routine. I'm, I've been lame from birth and this is just who I am. And I just accept there's no hope for me. God can't heal me. I'm a second-class Christian. There are no second-class Christians. It's about God's grace, not our performance. Be the follower of Christ who lives with rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Maybe take that away today. Just Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So you know who, between you and the Lord, who you're talking about. Jesus, his name, Christ, his title, Nazareth, that you are putting your faith in the historical person, the man, the son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you come from the perspective of us as We've been lame from birth. We don't want to be those Christians who like, you know, I've always struggled with depression and that's just who I'm going to be. Maybe you will struggle all your life with depression. Maybe God will heal you today. Maybe he'll heal you tomorrow. Maybe he'll heal you just a little bit of your depression two weeks from now but that God wants us to live in such a way as to swing the bat that we'll, we're gonna go to the grave or until Jesus returns, being those who swing the bat, that, hey, you never know. My God loves me, he cares about me, he's all powerful. If nothing else, he's gonna give me grace to get through today. That in the cross, rise and walk in Jesus Christ of Nazareth to be those who remember and impress upon ourselves, rise and walk. And that Jesus has healed us, is, and the good news wrapping up with Revelation 21 verses four and five, that he, let's say these verses together as well. They're so triumphant that God hates the pain, he hates the sin which afflicts us, he hates the diseases, he hates death, and that the good news is that one day completely we live with this hope knowing the certainty that he's gonna take care of it all. Let's say this together. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. We live, swing in the bat, rise and walk,
knowing if nothing else, however hard this life may be, that one day he's gonna say, rise and walk forever. Let's pray.